Chapter 24 of The Great Sinners of the Bible. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bo Wood. The Great Sinners of the Bible by Lewis Albert Banks. The story of a man who was caught in his own trap. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Esther 7, 10 Haman furnishes a very graphic illustration of the way sin, when yielded to, can take a man who is seemingly hedged about until he is impregnable to misfortune and utterly destroy him. If Haman had been willing to let well enough alone and live honestly and decently, he might have had a long and conspicuous career at the Persian court. He was a brilliant adventurer from the broken-down nation of the Amalekites and had captured the fancy of King Eugenius. The king was so greatly pleased with him that he honored him above all the other courtiers in his realm, and he came to be known as the power behind the throne in that kingdom. So great became his power and majesty that whenever he walked in the streets, the proudest of the nobility bowed to him with as much reverence as if he were the king himself. Haman was a proud man and a vain one, and nothing made him quite so happy as to have people bow to him in public. It thrilled him through and through with delight when some powerful noble did him the princely honor before the eyes of the crowd. But there was one man in town that didn't bow. He permitted the great Haman to go by without the slightest nodding of his stubborn head. This was Mordecai, a relative of Esther, the beautiful young queen. This stubbornness on the part of Mordecai was a source of the greatest chagrin and mortification to Haman. But Haman was proud and thought Mordecai alone was scarcely big enough game for his gun. On learning that Mordecai was a Jew... He concluded that he would not only rid himself of Mordecai, but would exterminate the Jews from the country. Haman was himself an exile because of the power of the Jewish people, and to get a chance to not only destroy Mordecai, but wreak vengeance on thousands of Jews throughout the empire, made his wicked little heart dance for joy. So the first time he had a good chance to talk with the king, he told him that he had discovered a large number of people scattered throughout his empire who were disloyal to the government. They worshipped a strange god and were especially disrespectful to King Eugenius himself. These people were wealthy people, and he, Haman, loved the king so tenderly that it just broke his heart to see these people 
who were traitors to the king, fattening on the good things of his realm. If the king would only give him a chance, nothing would make him happier than to clear the kingdom of this vile race. King Euhasuerus was a hot-headed sort of fellow, always going off half-primed, and he fell into the trap very neatly. He took his signet ring off his finger and gave it to Haman and told him to work his will with them. Though, as for enriching the public treasury from the spoils of these Jews who were to be murdered, Haman might keep all that himself. Haman went home walking on air. He lost no time in sending out the edict all over the kingdom that from the palace to the hovel it should be no crime to kill a Jew on certain days. This brought even Queen Esther into danger of her life. Mordecai lost no time in making the queen acquainted with this horrible plot of Haman's and reverently assured her that it was no doubt providential that she had come to her high place for such a time as this and that not only the fate of her race and her relatives, but her own life depended on her immediate action. Esther was put in a hard place. King Euhasuerus was not the most gentle husband in the world. He had deposed one queen because she would not come to the dining room when he and his lords were drunk, and he had made a strict rule that anybody, even the queen, who should come into his presence without being invited, unless he graciously held out the scepter, was to be punished with death. The king had not seemed to care about sending for her for a long time, and he might not think of her again until it was too late. So she sent Mordecai word that if he would call a prayer meeting among all their people on the outside, she would have a prayer meeting with her maids in the palace. And then, on a certain day, she would go to the king, whether she lived or died, and trust the result to God. There is romantic heroism in her words, so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Well, it turned out all right. As Esther came in timidly, his majesty, happening to be in a good humor, held out the scepter to her with gracious pleasure and wanted to know her desires. Esther had the matter all arranged in her mind. She knew the king's weak spot. He was very fond of a good dinner and greatly delighted in Haman's conversation and society. So she expressed her desire that the king and his friend Haman should come that day to a banquet which she had prepared. This pleased the king, and he sent word to Haman to hurry up and come to the feast. When the king was mellow with his wine after dinner, he again asked the queen what was at the bottom of all this. Manlike, he couldn't get it out of his head 
that Esther wanted something out of the ordinary to cause her to get him up such an unusually fine dinner. And the queen replied that if she had found favor in the sight of the king, she would like to have him come to a banquet again tomorrow, and let Haman come also, and then she would make known her request. There was no doubt method in Esther's delay. She had found out that it was a good thing to pique the king's curiosity. By her making so much of it, he would gradually get his mind made up to yield to a large request. The king gladly granted her petition, and Haman went out, bubbling over with vanity and happiness. But as he went down the steps of the palace, he saw something that ironed all the smiles out of his face. There was Mordecai, with a neck as stiff as if it had an iron ramrod in it, and he never bowed or paid the slightest reverence to him. Haman wanted to choke him, but he clenched his fist and went on in silence. That was a notable night in Haman's house. Everything seemed to be going his way. He sent out for all his friends to come in, and he had a great time boasting to them about how rich he was and what a nice lot of children he had, how smart his boys were and how beautiful his girls and what great honor the king had bestowed upon him. And now, he says, Queen Esther has taken as great a fancy to me as the king, and I was the only man invited to her banquet today with the king. And, as a special mark of favor, I am to be at a banquet again tomorrow with the king alone. And then Haman made a wry face. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Poor Haman, he was one bow short, and that one old stiff-necked Jew was the fly in the ointment which robbed him of all his pleasure. But his wife and his friends advised him not to worry about Mordecai, let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, they said. And tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. That pleased Haman, and he ordered the gallows built. Just here, an interesting thing happened in the palace. Euhasuerus was troubled with insomnia, and that very night he could not sleep. He had hit upon the ingenious plan of having himself read to sleep, and he found that nothing would work so well as having his own writings read to him. I never tried it, but I have heard of preachers having their own sermons read to them on such occasions with great profit. Well, this night the king had one of his servants reading to him out of his diary. And, reading along, they came to the place which told how Mordecai had once discovered a plot against the king's life, and by loyally making it known, had saved him. 
The king immediately inquired, Has any honor ever been paid to Mordecai for that kindness? And he found that nothing had been done. He felt very much ashamed about it and had it still on his mind when the courtiers began to gather in the outer room the next morning. He turned to his steward and said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was there, an early comer, in order to ask the privilege of hanging Mordecai. But the moment he was admitted, before he got a chance to speak, the king turned and said, Haman, is that you? I am glad to see you. I was just wanting your advice about a case. What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Haman very naturally supposed that he was the man that was to receive this honor. So he fixed the thing up in great shape with this idea as the basis of his proceedings. He advised that the royal apparel be brought and the king's horse and the crown royal for his head and counseled that the man be apparelled by the noblest princes of the realm as his servants and that one of these princes lead the horse through the streets with this favored man on its back, and let it be shouted everywhere. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. All right, said the king, that will do. Haman, you go and treat Mordecai that way. Can you imagine a bitterer thing than that? If there was ever poetic justice done on earth, it was done then. There are some historic scenes that I should like to have witnessed, and one of them would be the dressing of Mordecai by Haman. But all things pass, and the bitter hour was over, and Haman went home crestfallen and broken-hearted to tell his wife and his friends the horrible shame that had fallen on him. His wife and friends were evidently very much alarmed themselves and were very poor comforters, for they prophesied that this was probably the beginning of the end. But while they were talking, one of the king's chamberlains came to hurry him away to the banquet. Poor Haman went, with a heart like lead, because he had to. It was not appetite that dragged him thither. As the second banquet drew near its close, the king again inquired of Esther her petition, and then she told him that her relatives and friends, as well as her own life, had been plotted against and were in immediate danger. The king aroused and angry, said, Who is he, and where is he, that durst presume in his heart to do so? Then I can imagine Esther leaping to her feet from the banquet and pointing the accusing finger at the shrinking, trembling scoundrel, shaking like a man with the palsy at the table, as she shouts, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. One of the servants threw a cloth over Haman's head, 
hiding his face from the king's anger, and Harbona, the chamberlain who had been at Haman's house to hurry him to the banquet, and who had seen the peculiar preparations that had been made there, said, Haman has a gallows fifty cubits high, which he made for Mordecai, the king's friend, standing in his house. Then said the king, Hang him thereon. And so the gallows which Haman had built for Mordecai was all ready for himself. The sermon has preached itself as the story has gone on, and there remains little for me to say. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The man who goes through the world full of hatred and vengeance, building a gallows for the man he hates, is only preparing for his own disaster. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. The man who is full of forgiveness and kindness and love toward his fellow men sows the seeds of all that is gracious and beautiful that shall make fragrance to bless the path of his declining years. He who goes through the world with bitterness and meanness is sowing dragon's teeth that will be a hard pillow to lie on when he is old. Wickedness may succeed for a while, but every iniquitous plot has within it the elements of its own disintegration. Righteousness that will not bow its head to a sin because it is successful or popular may be threatened and plotted against and for a time clouded with defeat. But in the end, its enemies hang on the gallows they have built for it. End of chapter 24